John, news button, hit it. Boom. News button. <laughs> Damn it. No. You, you gotta to set me up better than that. I set you up better. Please. You gotta be like on it immediately. Mm. You gotta go yes and and then do the boop 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 sounds. Okay. Do, 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 do. The news. <laughs> yes. There we go. And obviously we're talking about something that everybody loves, the box office. Finally. Someone's talking yeah. about it. <laughs> And a lot of people are going to be surprised to see what finished number four this weekend. Like the presidential election, it doesn't matter who won, but who's coming in third, fourth, fifth. <laughs> and much like the uh, presidential election, it's not really about the number of people who voted. It's more yeah. about, you know, how much those votes count. Exactly. And like the box office, we're going to be somewhat surprised by what came in at number four, called My Hero Academia, colon, Heroes Rising. Mm-hmm. Now, I would have been completely ignorant of, of this if it weren't for you talking about this very thing in a spotlight, I believe. I don't think I talked about this specifically. I've talked about other superhero-adjacent animes. I've, I've been inundated yeah. with Facebook ads about it, so I had a, I had a sneaking suspicion it was going to be very, very big, or at least it was more in the cultural conversation than it normally would big. be. Big? I mean, but John, anime movies don't finish in the top five. Okay, fair enough. I can't argue that. Yeah. You're right. It is It is a bit surprising. What about your name? Yeah. How well now, did granted, your name do? I don't know who goes to the theaters even anymore. <laughs> That's an excellent point. Yeah, so I, I don't know exactly like what competition it's facing. Obviously, people are hugely disappointed in the in the prospects of birds of prey mm-hmm. and maybe call of the wild maybe not hugely disappointed in that one because again that was another uh 20th century fox orphan <laughs> yes and let's yeah. not forget brahms to the boy or the boy to brahms <laughs> huge <laughs> boondoggle that one <laughs> well do you remember a movie called the boy i don't and i, I remember do. everything i you remember do? Okay. i remember the movie the boy i remember the All original right. boy i forgot that his name was brahms i don't know why they just don't call it brahms if it was just yeah. called the brahms I would I would go see it tomorrow. <laughs> well, clearly they they're doing like a book of shadows thing. Oh, okay. and they just picked up. I believe I'm almost certain they just picked up another screenplay and like let's put this part of the uh, a horror universe. Like um, remember what what universe was the close the curse of La Llorona? What? Uh, that's part of the Conjuring cinematic universe. I am okay. led to believe. Yes, All I right. think so. Now that had nothing to do with the which paranormal activity movie was set on the u.s mexico border and had a predominantly latinx cast i think that was the last one and that one wasn't technically related to any of the, the marked ones that's what it was that's called. right the marked ones of course i just want to let everybody know i did not have to look up on the internet i it came to spring the straight, boy straight to, to my the marked ones colon yes. brahms there we go yes. we got yeah. it <laughs> I literally forgot my mother's birthday the other week, but <laughs> I remember the last Paranormal Activity movie was called The Mark Ones, so Good I have work. my priorities straight. Yes. <laughs> Is there any horror franchise they won't just run it to the ground? <laughs> like, if even if even the boy can, you know, survive into a sequel territory? <sighs> Probably not. I mean, let's, let's, let's workshop this, John. So... Okay. <laughs> I, people want to go to the movie theaters to feel something, whether it's yes. uh, hopefully laughter, uh, excitement, thrills. Yet scare seems to be an easy one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And they, they also have a built-in audience. Like People are horror fans in general. That's true. Um, do you think horror movies are more of a universe? Because the reason why they don't make comedies anymore is because comedies you know, don't play well in an international audience. Do you think that horror is a more kind of universally felt thing? That what humans find scary is a little more kind of uh, less specific, shall we say, than comedy. Uh, probably. Mm-hmm. Also, less less probability to like, 
you're right in terms of universality, but like comedy also has this other thing, like something tailored to your sense of humor and also something that can possibly offend you oh. or really alienate you in a way. Ooh, and I'm surprised that doesn't happen with horror movies like it does me. Horror movies do genuinely alienate me. <laughs> and I, that's why I avoid them in general. Okay. <laughs> so I'm, I'm surprised that happens more in a general audience with comedy versus, say, horror. But okay. Yeah. Again, what do I know? I had the chance to see The Invisible Man this weekend, but sadly we did not take it. Instead, we opted to go see Knives Out again, or at least I saw it again. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, was that the only thing playing in theaters? Or I mean, obviously we could have seen Harley Quinn if we wanted to, but we're still kind of... Eh. Uh, don't you believe in women, John? Don't you believe that women could do anything? <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> Sexist You are thing. not an ally. <laughs> I thought I was an ally. <sighs> I drove so many women to get abortions the other week, too. I'm like, I thought I thought I was doing a good job. Damn it. See, this is what I'm talking about. Alien, comedy alienating people. Way That's to go. <laughs> you had to go for the easy abortion joke, didn't you? I did. I'm sorry. Low-hanging fruit. <laughs> I know. It's the sweetest kind of fruit. So, if this is your first time tuning into the Aspiring Snobs podcast... Yee, yikes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We hope you stick around because we got a giant one here. Mm-hmm. We are we're about to take a break from recording after one hundred seventy one sort of consecutive weeks, <laughs> mostly consecutive weeks. Yeah, mostly consecutive weeks. So we really want to tackle some big ones uh, before we go on our break, and this is a massive one. This is one of the very first ones we wrote down for ideas of films that you and I, neither you or I, had possibly seen, and. Like th- that, we should tackle for this podcast. Mm-hmm. We're talking a, a huge one. We're talking the one that put the M in TCM. That's right, Turner Classic Movies. We're talking, <laughs> we're talking something that's on rotation on all those old timey channels. Let me tell you. Well, yeah, because they got a lot of airtime to fill, and <laughs> this movie is here to fill it. <laughs> yes, it is. We are talking about the 1962 epic, not just a movie, an epic, epic, Lawrence of Arabia. No, Dryden. It's going to be fun. It is recognized that you have a funny sense of fun. Do the score with me, Greg. I also did legitimately get a chance. I went to the bathroom at our home, and we do have candles to um, eliminate any smells. And quick strike matches, and I got a chance to like let it linger down my thing, and then and envision uh, just a, 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 a truly gargantuan uh, Arabian horizon uh, before me. <laughs> Bold editing, John. Bold! Yes, huge. Greg, why was this movie so revolutionary? Why is this lauded as a, as a, as a sweeping classic that it is today? Go. Well, Explain uh, to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is my first time seeing it. Mm-hmm. And I, the one thing that became immediately clear to me is that filmmakers of a certain generation, I'm going to name two here, 
Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, they glide on a nice, <laughs> wide, clear trail that was blazed by David Lean and Lawrence of Arabia. It is in- extremely influential. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to those great moments, as I said, that match cut between him <laughs> literally blowing out a match and uh, <laughs> cutting straight to instead of dissolving. Like, so, not exactly groundbreaking stuff, but the first time in a major motion picture directed by a, a conventional filmmaker, David Lean, that they would try things like that. And are the public's introduction to a legendary star, Peter, Peter O'Toole, mm-hmm. uh, in addition to a stacked cast, including the names Alec Guinness, Omar Sharif, all that. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why it's highly influential. But the reason I want to revisit it today is because there's there's an inverse to this movie, a dark side, if oh, you will. No. <laughs> and there are a lot of things that I I want to address, like capital as P problematic. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm just going to mention a few. Uh, no women speaking parts. <laughs> yes. uh, brown face. Mm. <laughs> and the depiction of a white savior in this Arab world. So yeah, we'll get to that. that. Um, yeah, it's kind of so. A, since you and I have the final word, we've we've got a tremendous <laughs> privilege on our shoulder here, John. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, since we're the final word on all these subjects. So why don't you give your? I I mean, you you tasked me with setting it up. So I don't know. Just give your overall impression of this film the second time you've seen it, right? Um, second time I've seen it now. It's very very long. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, obviously that's not a super fair criticism but i mean leonard malton he's a he's a very uh, studious critic and and well lauded in his field and he's very specific he likes 90 minute movies anything longer than that he will mark you down for it and i'm inclined to agree sometimes Uh, movies are definitely way too long and this movie is very very long and as roger ebert famously said no good movies too short no grand no bad movie too long exactly i got that backwards (laughs) yeah same difference anywho and it definitely has its moments. It's definitely it, it earns the title of a capital E epic. This is a very sweeping, yes. grand uh, story going on here. Um, thematically, I think it's dealing with a lot of heavy subjects, and it's a little uh, convoluted to kind of follow. And I don't think it kind of sticks the landing. But I would say it's a very interesting movie. Um, even if your eyes do glaze over at certain points yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you get a little confused on which character is referring to the other because they all do call all kind of blend together and events of the movie kind of blend together as racist well. racist john <laughs> you're it's talking because all about that makeup english keeps smearing <laughs> yes you're talking about english actors in brown face so <laughs> it's 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 a lot and so, therefore, yeah. it's like there's a lot to like, but then there's also a lot to dislike. Uh, speaking of which, the brown face. The brown face is obviously very yeah. <laughs> in very poor taste. Yeah, so if I could lay my cards on the table, I would say of all the stuff that this movie packs in, three hours surmising the life of, or, or at least the exploits of T.E. Lawrence, mm-hmm. I would say a lot of it comes out as good mm-hmm. um, in spite of those issues. Um, the first one being, as you said, there are no women in the cast. Which you can understand because it's set during World War One. It's the British Army facing off against the Ottoman Turks, mm-hmm. and they find allies in in basically these tribes of uh, on the Arabian Peninsula. And so and so you can understand like okay, there aren't a lot of women in this world. Understandably, like there are no women speaking parts, or you know they didn't try to phony it up and say like hey, there's here's a, here's a a tribal leader who's got girl power. Um, she's a girl boss when she led these people to slaughter. <laughs> Hashtag yeah, girl boss, yeah, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so so there's nothing phony about that. And I will say, it also establishes this character well because I had no idea who T. E. Lawrence was going into this movie. Mm-hmm. I only knew him like. 
but he's he's not taught he's not taught in American history curriculums. <laughs> no, believe so, it or not. <laughs> yeah. But it does do a very good job in establishing what I now like dubbing a 60s hero. And that is somebody who's who's very uh, aloof, very cool. Like, it kind of has a dry, wry attitude towards everything. It reminded me a lot exactly. of Cool Hand Luke mm-hmm. and a lot of other, like, I could name a few other, like, 60s heroes who, who kind of are part of, the, part of this world, but also kind of thumb their nose at, at, at uh, the establishment or authority. And in this case, he does when, um, again, he's hanging out in a bar... As, as the costume designer famously did, she gave Peter O'Toole an ill-fitting suit so that it would be uh, an obvious sign that that he's not part of this world, mm-hmm. or at least doesn't fit into this world. Exactly, and obviously he's got a very exciting uh, costume change coming on later <laughs> later on, yes. which would become iconic. <laughs> <Yes. so. laughs> yeah, and you get that wonderful transition between the world of stuffy British officers and this like brand new horizon, like literal horizon of the adventure that he's about to partake in. So... That's all very good. Uh, the one thing I can't abide by, you know, <laughs> is Alec Guinness's performance. Mm. Because, like, it, it stood out to me, and not in a good way. <laughs> um, <laughs> Alec Guinness, it, very skilled actor as he is, and I, I do commend, like, maybe his voice work. But, yeah, the, the makeup and <laughs> just how distracting it is that he's he's playing not a, not a similarly aloof character, but somebody who's somewhat like above it all and, yeah. and somewhat detached from what's going on here. He plays Prince Faisal, who's the, kind of the head honcho of the, of all these tribes on the Arabian Peninsula, and uh, he's the one who who kind of commissions commissions these British officers to actually fight the Ottoman Turks. Exactly, and the problem is all these the people fighting the Ottoman Turks, or at least the the um, Arab natives that they want to conscript, they're all you have their own little like petty little arguments. They're all this kind of like loose band of tribes that just can't all seem to work together until you know a certain Lawrence comes into the picture <laughs> and he's able to kind of unify them and kind of get everyone to to get riled up and and unite under this one kind of great banner. But and that brings us to you know the white savior complex. <laughs> And you do get such classic lines like, you'll always be a little people. <laughs> yeah. Colonel Brighton means to put my men under European officers, does he not? In effect, my lord, yes. And I must do it. Because the Turks have European guns. But I fear to do it. Upon my soul, I do. The English have a great hunger for desolate places. I fear they hunger for Arabia. Then you must deny it to them. You are an Englishman. Are you not loyal to England? To England and to other things. To England and Arabia, both? And is that possible? I think you are another of these desert-loving English. Dati, Stanop, Gordon of Khartoum. No Arab loves the desert. We love water and green trees. There is nothing in the desert. No man needs nothing. So, overall, like if we if we have a thirty thousand foot view of this, not great. <laughs> yeah. But I'm I'm trying to appreciate it as a movie itself, and I think, like, 
if in the initial part, not just him as a white savior, like another famous move. <laughs> Later in the movie, we see him twirl around with his arms outstretched, literally like this Christ-like figure um, <laughs> shining down <laughs> on on these Arab tribes that he's united. But I do love the story setup, at least in the first half, where it's like you've got this impossible task before. Like he's in these impossible situations. Like uh, mm-hmm. he's lost his guide at the well. Um, the, they've stolen. Uh, water from somebody's well, and his his interpreter and guide has been uh, killed for this affront. I mean, there's not much of a need for an interpreter. Everyone speaks the yeah, king's English. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, T. E. in real life, T. E. Lawrence did actually speak Arabic, so oh, okay, he Good. could actually communicate. Yeah, that's the implication. At least I accepted that kind of as part of the reality of the movie. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the other thing, like uh, they're tasked with um, taking down the city of Aqaba. Mm-hmm. And Lawrence has this again a completely out there military strategy where we're going to cross the desert instead of attacking from the sea because it's a very important uh, sea uh, port town. Uh, we're going to cross the entire desert, which um, his cohort, played by Omar Sharif, obviously balks at, but they do end up um, up doing it. So, like that, all that compelled me. In addition to just the just massive scale that they were able to kind of capture and yes and in- no i mean i i kind of agree yes like the the scale of the movie is quite impressive but honestly i was kind of bo- more bored in the first half because it's like oh you know conventional wisdom says this but lawrence does this and it works out for him like i it's a little <laughs> exactly it's a little too circular in that way until you get to a certain kind of like you get to those kind of complications and that's when i've kind of like woke up and perked up was um early in the movie again like Lawrence balking at conventional wisdom. Uh, one of the men gets lost along this huge trek. You know, his camel yes. comes back, but he's not there. And, and Lawrence is like, leave no man behind. You know, he's a hero that way. You're like, yeah, yeah. he saved the cat. Good for him. Um, <laughs> but eventually, there is a moment where um, a thief is... Or, or, I get. I don't remember the exact circumstance, but basically, like, someone has run afoul with the law, and yeah. this society believes in capital punishment. And Lawrence, again, being the upstanding gentleman, it says, like, no, 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 you shall kill him, I'll kill him. And then it Well, turns- the, yeah, the idea is it's two warring tribes, mm-hmm. and he sees this cycle oh, the, of, like, you're right, tit you're right, for you're tat. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, now I remember. And you're he right. sees this, tag of t- uh, this, this tit for tat that keeps that, this one-upsmanship keep occurring, and he says, like, no, I will I will carry out the execution so that this uh, this this blood feud can finally end Mm -hmm. and it turns unfortunately yeah it turns out it's the man he he rescued Mm -hmm. uh so i i love that moment because i i've used this analogy for like i want drama to cut deep i want to like hurt characters and it's the only it's the first instance in the movie where something didn't go lawrence's way so that's the other reason why it it was compelling to me or at least that's the that's the scene i was like awakened again i was like ooh, interesting because like (laughs) i said my eyes did glaze over through the course of watching this movie i couldn't help it it's three hours come on i'm only well well, that's when the movie well no that's when the movie like really hit another dimension for me because i was compelled by the very obvious drama like lawrence you'll never cross that desert (laughs) Um, (laughs) lawrence you'll never (laughs) go and rescue just one man uh, at the expense of the other 50 that were uh, taking on this arduous journey Mm-hmm. And so, like, I was still compelled in those very obvious moments because, let's be honest, this is, like, popular entertainment. Yes. And so when it does bring a new dimension to the game, i.e., like, Lawrence has to, you know, kind of uh, recalibrate his morality here, mm-hmm. uh, that that works for me. And I also love, he also doesn't want to take servants, but then he does, like, um, 
finally accept the help of um, two young lads. Mm. And after it doesn't after work out take, well for one of them. <laughs> exactly. After they do take Akrabah, like I can understand your eyes glazing over, like, oh, we got to cross another desert again. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, we're going to set up, like, even though we're only 90 minutes into a, a three and a half hour movie, like, you know, like, I, I, have, a, I have a feeling this T.E. Lawrence guy is going to make it. However, one of his servants does not. Yeah. Uh, and that's another like big moral quandary that that he has, and leads to another great moment. Uh, I know this is another thing that the they stole the movie for, in that they they have to make the the canal via mm-hmm. this huge long desert. Again, one of his two servants doesn't make it, and they run across a ruined city. And like, wouldn't you know it? A boat is literally like passing through the <laughs> desert. And I'll credit like just the brilliant way in which David Lean can can frame epic imagery like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it leads to my other favorite moment in which. Um, Yes, he's finally he, he's ingratiated himself in the tribe. He's as you said gone through this complete costume change. They give him like this the the traditional uh, white robes. <laughs> yes, the traditional white robes and a crown and like sun uh, sun uh, beating uh, <laughs> clothing. Mm-hmm. So, so he's he's finally if he's gone through this arduous journey, he looks completely different, sunburned, like awful, and he just kind of like wanders back into the the officers' club mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, with this young boy around his arm. <laughs> so I. I love that moment too because it it felt like the journey came full circle at that point like Joseph Campbell's uh, diagram like uh, we finally return home again (laughs) yes but so Greg, that, that's those, only halfway that, through the movie. That's before the intermission. Exactly. And this is, yeah, this is where my problem starts to arise because now we get into the thorny issue of not just like thorny issue of, of trying to unite these tribes and then form like a government because mm-hmm. we've, we've accomplished our first tax task, taking the city of Akaba. Uh, Peter O'Toole's character has returned to uh, this base in Cairo safely. But now, like when we jump ahead through the intermission, now he's uh, doing guerrilla warfare and subterfuge um, to yeah. keep fighting the Ottoman Turks. And now he's, he's trying to destroy and, their yeah their their train supplies. He's always blowing yes. up their trains and stuff like that. So. Yeah, and and now it's as if the story has uh, recalibrated. It's it's now through the point of view of an American journalist instead. Yeah, um, who's who's also like somewhat unscrupulous, and he's like, I'm just trying to print the legend here. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's like classic, you know, the front page, like his girlfriend. Yeah, like. Eh. <laughs> Let's get some snapshots. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that's that's when the movie started to lose my interest. But mm. I don't know if you were you were perking up at any point in Act Two because I wasn't. Um, <laughs> um, I I did kind of perk up in Act Two because there is a lot. I do want to give the movie credit. There is a lot of moral ambiguity here. Um, yes. On the one hand, he is a war legend who detests violence, and on the other hand, this is a you know the urtext for the quote-unquote white savior movie but at the same time kind of box at that idea as well like so many characters in the latter half of the movie think like he's getting a little overconfident he's getting a little big for his britches and like it even makes fun of the fact that he thinks he is the savior to these people and what ends up happening like the movie ends very unceremoniously (laughs) he didn't end up being their savior after all so Mm -hmm. it's like I don't. I want to give the movie some credit, even though it does look like, on paper, like a classic Last of the Mohican, Last Samurai, you know, Dances yeah. with Wolves. I don't think it's fully committed to that vision. I do think it's a little more ambiguous, and it's definitely, I would not go as far as to say it's like a pro-war film either. No, not at all. Yeah. I, I don't think that either. Um, I think they do a commendable job of, like, not just not just extolling the virtues of T.E. Lawrence, but also showing what a what a morally morally gray areas that he had to tackle in order to achieve what he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm I'm glad that it faces that on, 
but I think in the end, it it does get a little like too messy because at in those moments, like when we get when we he we introduced we jump ahead in time and we see where he is at the start of Act Two, it it does show him as kind of this like savior. Mm-hmm. So that that kind of like lost me. And then what's the big moral complexity? There, there's a famous scene, no prisoners. Like, and the yes. idea is like, mm-hmm. yeah, they will slaughter their enemies. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we also kind of cut ahead. We don't actually see any of the violence because this is 1962. It's not like we can show that. Um, so the, instead they cut to another like famous shot where he's just like leaning against the wall, exhausted, and he's got like a bloody knife and blood all over his like white clothes. Which is set um, up too in the beginning half because when he first yeah. gets his costume, he receives that knife and he shines it in his face like, ooh, look how clean and pretty it all is. And then yeah. later he has to use it to stab someone and it, it horrifies mm-hmm. him. You know, next yeah. time we see it, it's covered in blood and it's like, oh yeah, that's what it's for. So, I mean, maybe you're, it's also, again, like bringing a full circle for that character. He was kind of naive at the beginning, you know, thinking like, oh, I'm just an, I'm just a boy going on an adventure. <laughs> and he doesn't really understand yet all the moral complexities that he'll have to navigate throughout his little journey. So... And also to the film's credit, you know, like again, we're we're talking about like the visual language of cinema, you know, brilliantly shot. Everything is kind of it moves in the direction of left to right until that yes. final scene where he has to return home, and then it's left to uh, it's right to left. So, yeah, I'm all credit to David Lean. We haven't done a David Lean joint on this podcast yet, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm glad we can kind of like extol both his, both his ability to capture epic imagery because that was kind of his trademark, like these huge movies like this and Dr. Zhivago, but also look at just what he's doing in terms of language and framing and that he was willing to make a risk, take a risk like that, uh, like a, like a hard cut, uh, between the match and the sun sunrise. So again, all credit to him. Charming company you keep. Outer? He's a bit old fashioned. He thinks these things will steal his virtue. He thinks you're a kind of thief. Start if I take your picture. All right. Okay. Just walk. Spite of the, I, I do wish that was kind of the climax, like him leaning against the door frame with a bloody knife. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead, like we have another like inter- what feels like an interminable scene with a lot of bickering. Uh, there's him and and who's the other actor? Um, gosh, I sorry, I wish I had the page up. Um, the other actor in in brown face, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like Montgomery Cliff or Burt Lancaster. Yeah. Or, uh, <laughs> Uh, Anthony Quinn also. <laughs> oh, Anthony Quinn, Aura, yes, yeah. Aura, uh, the, the character Aura. Um, it's just kind of like endless bickering, and it, and it ends on somewhat of a, like an ambiguous note. Um, <laughs> same with Act One; it just ends with like kind of British soldiers just walking away. Yeah, it's <laughs> like let's see what this Lawrence guy does. Intermission. Yeah, and kind of ends on the same note with a bike like 
because we didn't even mention that the movie actually starts in Terminus Res. Exactly. Uh, it's, it starts at the end of, uh, of uh, T.E. Lawrence's life in which he gets into a motorcycle accident and passes away. Um, so. Which is very, uh, if again, we've been extolling the virtues of the director. I don't know, that first scene was very ambiguous about what they could film. I guess he was trying to do his yeah. best with a very limited uh, capacity to have someone fall off a bike, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I'll, I'll commend the editing for the time. <laughs> <laughs> It's it it still worked for me. It's, I've I've seen like worse examples of uh, of a car crash or something where they okay. just kind of quickly cut sh- shots together. But that's true. I mean, yeah. we've seen Breathless for this podcast. Ooh. You want to talk about bad editing? <laughs> fair fair enough. But but anyways, yeah, so that's, that's uh, it. That's all we have to say about it, I guess. And what are the final words? So, learn <laughs> yeah. to Arabia, check it out. I guess yep. if you have the three hours. Yeah. If you're a completionist, like we I, are. I, like, there's I, no honestly, reason why you shouldn't check this movie out. Yes. No, I, I'd honestly give it a, a hearty recommendation, in spite of those problem, problematic mm-hmm. elements, like the brown The face, white savior uh, complex. Like yeah. the interminable running time. Yeah, the r- white savior thing. In spite of those issues, I don't want to say <laughs> it, like its quality transcends them, because, yeah. <laughs> I'm judging two different things, and i got to say, as a movie itself, as mm-hmm. being a hugely influential movie, too. I, mean, it, I I can't stress that enough. Like literally, just shots mm-hmm. from Indiana Jones and, uh, or excuse me, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Star Wars are all lifted from this movie. Like you will see, its kind of footprint on on the filmography of Spielberg mm-hmm. and George Lucas, like immediately. So, like I'll also give the film credit for that and say that's worthy. If you're fan of the fans of those films, go yeah. ahead and check out Lawrence of Arabia too. Good time at the movies. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll say a good time, not a great time. I mean, I mean personally for me, I love brown because people. more please, th- I say. <laughs> well, it's not like they're last to be had, or yeah, it's it's a rip roaring adventure at most. But yeah, it's not like a you don't get many hearty chuckles out of this movie, unfortunately. <laughs> no, no, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, Greg, because we have recommended them something, I guess we can pull it. We can just call it a night and just you know say, "All right, that's it. Episode over." Well, we're barely like thirty minutes in. I no. don't think. I well, don't think well, technically, they didn't pay for anything. Um, this is our. This is our premium. Well, no, this is this is part of our new premium. Oh, okay. uh, Twenty dollars a month service. <laughs> we're calling uh, it Aspiring Snobs yeah. Plus. <laughs> It's uh, for our silver tier <laughs> members. Um, you will you will get five more minutes of us um, just. Quickly talking about uh, Spotlight. Oh, damn it, Greg. Oh, I just dropped the name. Dang it. Yes. That's for our silver tier members. Sorry. For our platinum tier members, what you get is a big full-throated Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Yeah, baby. In which case, we recommend something wholeheartedly. And so, John, I want to recommend something first, because I, I've got a surprising source for uh, what I've got a spotlight here, and it's broadcast television. Oh, what? <laughs> Excuse me? I know. I thought my days of watching broadcast television were over. Mm. I, or, I thought it was exclusively do- the domain of live sports and nothing else. Okay. However, <laughs> I want to heartily recommend a new show that I know this this network has been just selling the hell out of, and I'm glad they did, because it, cause it is a darn good show, and that is Stumptown. I've heard some good things about this show. I'm interested. I'm interested in see what you have to say because it seemed kind of procedural to me. And you, well, you yes, don't go in is, for procedurals, do you? <laughs> no. I, well, I should say it's it's a private detective show. Oh. It is not a cop drama. Okay. It is not a. It is not one of these CSI NCIS uh, Criminal Minds shows, which I generally abhor. <laughs> but um, 
This this feels like a throwback, it, and not just because the main character Colby Smulders. If you're a Colby Smulders fan, I mean, this is. Just, I mean, we must stand, correct? <laughs> yes, I yes. This is heroin straight to your veins. This show. So, she, the main character, she's a she's a private investigator named Dex, and her sensibility or her like love of pop music is all and fashion design is all set in like the 80s mm-hmm. and that's really what the show's evoking like maybe like a tj hooker or <laughs> a, a chip sort of like kind of like fun banter cut in between like you know like um just fun action so mm-hmm. but but it's really well done for 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 one thing like all your all your favorite stars are here not just colby smolders but jake johnson of new girl fame is also back being a sarky self and I've only seen him in one episode. Hopefully he comes back. But Donald Loeb, John. Ooh. Everyone, America's sweetheart, Donald Loeb. <laughs> yes, Donald, Donald Loeb is, is back. He's, he's kind of a big wig private investigator who in one episode takes uh, Colby, Smolder, Colby Smolders under his wing because technically she has to be an apprentice to be a licensed <laughs> PI. So <laughs> interesting. So any fans of Terriers out there, um, I, th- I think they'll enjoy the show. So basically the idea is um, Colby Smolders plays Dex, um, who's who's a ne'er do well uh, former troop um, who's somewhat afflicted by PTSD. They don't really they haven't really gotten into that in the episodes I've seen so far. Um, but she's she's kind of a mess, uh, a functional alcoholic, <laughs> and um, <laughs> basically trying to do right by uh, Jake Johnson's character, like an old flame who's an ex-convict, and um, her brother who's disabled. Okay. And so that's where like kind of the sympathies lie, but she gets to like prove her bona fides every week in basically tackling a new case. And where where the show is fun is in which case in which uh, the let's say unconventional style in which she uh, <laughs> she tackles these things. But she gets the it, it feels very honest in those moments when she has to say like go undercover or do a stakeout. Like it it's not exaggerated in any way. Like I've seen like in other procedural shows where they like play up like how how silly they are. Like in terms of like you know, <laughs> they're a bunch of quirky characters. <laughs> yeah, the, like they have to put on an accent or like you know wear this ridiculous costume. Uh, like the I find one of the best examples in in the last episode I saw. She has to go undercover like briefly just for one scene in an office. Mm-hmm. And she plays just a, a office administrator handing out mail, but that means she has to wear heels, and she somewhat struggles like inside those heels. <laughs> and again, it's not exaggerated. She's not like whoa, and all the new, all the all the mail flies everywhere. <laughs> She's just uncomfortable it's, for a bit. Exactly. Yes. Okay. And so it's like a perfect distillation of her character. So it's like good character-based humor. And I will commend also the action because they do find a way to do like some like good. I, I won't say like car chases, but like good moments in cars. <laughs> so good moments in cars. Like in the pilot, exactly in the pilot. Uh, she's she's thrown in the trunk and she's got to like find a way out. So it's not quite a car chase. Mm. However, she does get the upper hand using like a, a fire extinguisher and slipping it through the the uh, the the divider between the trunk and the seats. And then the car goes off a jump. That's what reminded me of like T.J. Hooker. But it's all pretty well done. Okay. Again, we talked about yeah, we talked about in. Lawrence of Arabia, how you have to cut around something like that, but I mean, it's a good job. And there's another shot where um, a car loses its wheel, and they actually shoot from the inside of another car, where like it's a it's an actual impact between two cars. So <laughs> again, very well done action, and again, character based uh, humor. So uh, there's a lot to like recommend in a, in a network uh, procedural like this. <laughs> okay. So I I was incredibly surprised, incredibly and pleasantly surprised. Uh, Supplies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Supplies. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
incredibly pleasantly surprised uh, by the quality of Stumptown. And again, also like looking good because like a lot of these procedural shows, they they uh, got to shoot them quickly, so they they're all in like big <laughs> uh, big wide rooms with like overhead lighting mm. because they don't have time yeah. to like light things properly. There are shots in Stumptown in Stumptown that use like rack focus. Oh well, like, that's just because <laughs> it's the first season, Greg. Like if you go I probably, if you go yeah. back to like NCIS the first season they're using like crane shots it's amazing because <laughs> they were like screw it we don't have we don't know if we're gonna make it back <laughs> yeah so you're probably right I mean check back by the time like Stumptown season seven um, where she it'll be a multi sitcom <laughs> yeah it'll be yeah or she's got to go like undercover at the zoo and like I can't control corral the animals <laughs> I have to dress up like a bear <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but for now, Stumptown, season one, uh, darn good show. Okay. I think there's a lot to like in I it. I mean, it, it does seem like one of the rare uh, rare hits of the year, like with with critics and audiences. That too. Or at least, you know, whatever counts as an audience these days, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that is based on the star power of Colby, uh, Colby Smulders and Jake Johnson, again, two network TV stars. Mm-hmm. Is his third character. I'm sorry, I don't know the actor's name, but he plays a detective who's who's also got a thing for for Dex. Mm. And so far, he's he's a little underwritten because like all all his scenes are just him and the police chief like going back and forth about like you got to let this Dex character go. Don't let your emotions get in the oh, way no. of like her. <laughs> yeah, you always need a romance subplot in all these TV yeah. procedurals, <laughs> in all these broadcast dramas. <laughs> yes. Well, technically, that's between her and Jake Johnson. They do, I think, in the second episode, they do flashbacks oh. in terms of the basis of their relationship, Ooh. and those are those are fun. There's no grand tragedy in those, thankfully. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert! But I mean, if we're all chasing this is us, so if you're going to do a flashback structure, it, it better be a mystery. Damn it! Yes. <laughs> but so far, I, I hope his character gets uh, d- developed a little bit more because again, that's the only that's a, that's the one dimension he has is like. Oh, I really like this Dex character, but I gotta do my job as a detective, oh, no. as a as a police detective. Yeah, I gotta be by the book. <laughs> Hashtag me too. Anyway, yes, <laughs> bro. What? They gotta keep it professional, okay? All right. it's, you've done enough uh, anti-feminist jokes. All here, right, right, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, okay. Let me let yeah. me demonstrate once again my feminist bona fides by recommending okay. to actually this will prove how woke I am because I'm recommend I'm giving you uh-huh. a classic two comedy special double bill as I want to do. Okay, I, a, a double bill really because okay. is it is obviously it Instagram feeds, Twitter feeds? No, no, or? no, Netflix specials. Because, you know, uh-huh, there's like 14 okay. new ones every month. So I get the chance to watch every single one of them. And now I can recommend them to you. <laughs> All right. Well, fair enough. Go ahead. <laughs> so the first one I want to recommend is a, a, a female comedian. A femoid comedian. <laughs> <laughs> a female, femoid comedian. Uh, fem, uh, uh, John is their preferred oh, term. Oh, of course. A femian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, her initials are FF. It's Fortune Femster Sweet and Salty. Are you familiar? Fortune Femster... Yes, I know this lady. Uh, she's got curly yes. hair. Um, that's it. Yeah. Uh, she obviously, uh, in, in I don't know if you know anything about stand-up comedy, but they usually say you know start off with talking about your appearance. It's something that's obviously relatable, and obviously people are still making you know, your first impressions. So obviously she has yeah. a very long uh, set or a long bit about how she looks like the fat kid from the Sandlot. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, that, that, those were the first two things that stood out to me. Like her, her, her name first of all, Fortune. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's her like birth name, but uh, 
again help you help you stand out in in the in holly beard <laughs> and um yeah her curly her curly hair because let's say it's not like an elegant look that she has no um, and like that's part of the draw of her comedy is the fact that she is a she's a kind of bigger lady she's a lesbian and a lot of her history is about how her mother tried to turn her into a debutante she tried to take her to all these <laughs> all these like you know classes and all the kind of classic uh you know like oh this is what's expected of a lady <laughs> you know and obviously it never mm-hmm. worked out for her so and how she kind of came of her own and so it's a lot about her family history and things like that and it's very funny it's very entertaining she's a very she's a very good com- comedian she's with crack she's with smart and i don't know if you've gotten okay. a chance to hear, hear her on another podcast but she's a she's a good co- she's a good conversation I've, uh i was introduced to her by uh you made it weird so all right yeah. um and she has a very rich backstory so i like her work a lot and so uh this is her first comedy okay. special so it's a little rough around the edges um it ends with like a choir piece which i don't know fit 100 percent, but <laughs> whatever you got to do anything okay to kind of well yeah so. do they exactly do they do any like earnest bits like let's let's oh, make, yes. make this a documentary or uh, no but she does end it with like a 10 minute like okay. thank you so much i never thought this would happen to me and i'm like just just oh, just geez. walk off All stage right. you're fine <laughs> okay yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> don't give me all this false modesty, please. <laughs> I'm sure it's genuine modesty. Mm-hmm. However, like if if it went on for like ten minutes, mm-hmm. then yeah, I, it's a bit long. It's a bit long. That's a yeah. That's a, that's a bit much. Just do a regular encore and make a make a one or two more cracks. And there that's you it. go. <laughs> But the other one I watched uh, a little more recently, so it's a little more fresh in my head, is a, a new comedy special by Ronnie Chen, Asian Amer- Asian comedian, destroys America. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now Ronnie Chen, I, I heard about this because he's he's now a correspondent for the Daily Show. Is that, that is right? correct. He is a correspondent for the Daily okay. Show. So uh, mixed bag potentially. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I know that that was like a, that was the first. Uh, red flag for me <laughs> literally like the chinese flag i said no no more of this communist stuff american civilization is falling apart at the seams thanks to yeah. thanks to parasite winning best picture oh yeah <laughs> completely different countries <laughs> never mind uh, i will say i only know that because uh they promoted it on npr mm-hmm. and they did a terrible job <laughs> um, they just pulled out some of the worst jokes and i'm just like i'm i'm not about this but you gave it a chance john and it sounds like you enjoyed uh, it i enjoyed it quite a bit um again like he okay. gets to talk about his uh, his his history his culture and also he has a interesting bit about how he had to plan three weddings across three different continents so cool <laughs> because obviously he needed one for his asian family he needed one for his american family and then also it turns out his fiance was australian so they needed to plan a wedding there and so he's like i really recommend it three weddings it was so much fun i had such a great time (laughs) that's pretty uh much like fortune farina like there's this great like mixture of like just who he is as a person and then just how his physicality and how his like body kind of reacts my wife commonly says i have a tone problem everything comes out angry or sarcastic (laughs) you know (laughs) so he is like i can't identify i can't identify with that um (laughs) but um yeah it's a it's a very good special it's very very funny um I, I mean, I don't want to oversell it, but uh, I had a good time watching yeah. it. <laughs> okay. And he has like a, it, what I like about it is it has that kind of classic, like well thought out uh, story structure to it where he kind of like brings okay. stuff back. There's callbacks and, you know, he starts off with like one story and then kind of like brings it full circle by the end. So um, it's very, very good. Like obviously very well crafted. So 
and again, like coming from the Daily Show, you wouldn't expect that sometimes, but you know, <laughs> they're, they're much better. They're, it turns out that these are real comedians, okay? They're not just good at the man on the street bits. They can do real stuff. Fair enough. <laughs> they can Perfect. do real yeah. comedy. <laughs> yeah. So this means you'll watch Trevor Noah's special and just adore it, right? Right? We're going we're going we're going to hold off on that for a while. <laughs> okay, fine. I don't need another bummer reminder that apartheid sucked, okay? <laughs> I yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I wasn't sold and then Trevor Noah told me it's it's bad apparently. It's bad. But he puts a, a positive spin on it. <laughs> I know he uses laughs to to uh undercut the pain and he finds the fun in racism (laughs) yeah (laughs) turns out even though you can't spell racism without fun uh, (laughs) that clever trevor noah he finds a way uh let's not be dismissive of terrible things like apartheid and instead swiftly ask you to please prayer hands up (laughs) for likes on our facebook channel yeah, follows on our twitter page follows on our insta page i don't know why i keep calling it insta it's instagram yep and positive reviews on all the podcast ser- streaming services apple podcast stitcher all of them please Player spotify FM, yes. i know it's another big one i mean we're, we're gonna be taking a month off so obviously we we, we need as much as we can get come on <laughs> I want to yes, come back so and just see those graphs like shoot through the roof. Like absence yes. makes the heart grow fonder, right? So obviously you're going to keep listening to us while we're gone, correct? Yes. Thank you. Yes. I, John, after this uh, rip-roaring episode um, in which we didn't say anything offensive <laughs> or bad, <laughs> they're going to look at the back catalog. And please, I want you to encourage uh, us and John in particular mm-hmm. Um, by going to our email, aspiringsnobs at gmail.com, and let us know what you thought of not just this episode, but all the other episodes, and how you want us to come back from our break. I want you to encourage John in particular, uh, not just this email, aspiringsnobs at gmail.com again, but also his phone number, which is 619. Greg, <laughs> why would you do that? You gave him at least the area code. Now they can stalk me. Now they can cyber stalk me. I, it, yeah, nobody else has that 619 area code. <laughs> It's not like they put it on restaurants. (laughs) Greg, they already know that I live in North Park, okay? It's going to be so easy to find me. It's not that big a neighborhood. No, of course not. (laughs) Uh, Well, Greg, the only thing left to do now is just to tease them with what's coming next week. Yes, you chose a movie with a a very inauspicious title um, for the movie that we're going to be doing before our our brief, possibly permanent hiatus. (laughs) And that is uh, another classic art film, um, one of which I've seen you haven't, um, but I think very, very worthy. And, you know, we'll we'll kind of come to some agreement. I don't want to give it away, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) give away my impression of it. But uh, I know it's got a, a it's a bit of classic Americana. It's the last picture show. Mm-hmm. We saw the Italian version already with Cinema Paradiso, but uh, it'll be interesting yes. to see the American <laughs> spin on the tale. <laughs> well, th- there's a lot more going on than just the last picture show. Oh, no, okay. Uh, it's the, the the cinema plays a much smaller part than I'd say Cinema Paradiso does. Okay. So, All yeah. Right. Well, again, no spoilers. Thank you. <laughs> no, no. I mean, just let me know. Is it truly the last picture show? <laughs> I not in the careers of the of the many stars that it launched. Okay. Uh, Jeff Bridges in particular. Oh, really? He was in that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Timothy Bottoms. Yeah. Don't 
I guess. Well, I guess you'll find out. Uh, who's Tim? <laughs> Very soon. Excuse me, Timothy Bottoms. Who's Timothy Bottoms? It's <laughs> an Oscar nominated. He was his co-star or whatever. Obviously, he didn't reach such meteoric heights as as one Jeff Bridges does. Obviously, uh, but I mean, he, was he an Iron Man? I don't think so. <laughs> I no, clearly. I just can't believe that there is someone out there with a SAG card that says Timothy Bottoms, and I didn't know about it. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, we'll we'll have a good laugh about it. <laughs> but, uh, and there's something else I'm going to reveal too, because there was a sequel to the Last Picture Show, and it's it's cursed knowledge I got in film classes. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to share that next week. That's what I'll that's what I'll tease him with, John. Oh, okay. Uh, you will be you will be hearing uh, um, some some really gnostic uh, <laughs> truths, which I will share okay, with you. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, heck, we even had more American graffiti, so I'm not surprised. Yes. Oh, <laughs> Everyone yeah. says there's too many sequels these days. I don't know, man. The 70s was pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. It got, it got nuts. <laughs> um. And this is one of those, um, I won't say nuts, but it, it is one of those um, very commendable uh, 70s movies, and, and one I've, I've, I'm really looking forward to rewatching. All so. right. Well, yeah. you guys have that to look forward to next week. So... Thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, how do you English say, keep aspiring? Oh, great. Yeah, like this, that's just what we needed, yeah. more cultural appropriation in this episode. Uh, yes. <laughs> Goes and flows of angel hair And ice cream castles in the air And feathered canyons everywhere I've looked at clouds that way But now they only block the sun They rain and snow on everyone So many things I would have done But clouds got in my way I've looked at clouds from both sides now From up and down and still somehow It's clouds illusions I recall I really don't know clouds